Welcome to the Diversity and Fellowship Podcast, where we discuss how the gospel brings us together and keeps us together. We are your hosts, Kenny King. And I'm William Marshall, and we want to encourage Christians to think through how our lives and our churches can be a faithful display of how the power of the gospel unites us in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to a, uh, another episode of Diversity in Fellowship. We're glad that you have joined with us today and are listening to uh, the latest episode, uh, where today we are talking about systemic racism. So a lot of controversy surrounding uh, this idea. Some uh, people are confused about what it is, all the way to the point where some people don't even believe it exists. Right. Uh, to obviously, there are those on the other end of the spectrum who think it is the greatest problem that we're currently facing. You know, in the uh, in the U.S. And so, we just want to try to dive in. We want to try to do the best we can. We want to give a black perspective from systemic racism and and, and a white perspective. As who's far going as... to give the black perspective <laughs> and who's going to give the white perspective? Let's, we could do opposite roles, right? <laughs> you could try. No, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Um, yeah, if you haven't figured that out by now, brother, I don't know how to help uh, okay. you on that particular. I was just um, making sure. Thank you. Okay, so let's start with probably probably helpful to start with just a basic definition. So, Kenny, what would your what was your basic definition of systemic racism? Right. So when we think about systemic racism, um, obviously we have the word racism uh, in in the in the two words. So we know we kind of have an idea what racism is: is the idea of discriminating, treating people differently, treating people badly because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity. So when you think about systemic racism, you're you're saying that um, the discrimination is not just on an individual level or even as far as a group level, but that these individuals or these groups have come together and created systems in which discrimination is happening to people based upon their race or their skin color. Okay, so so it's it's more than just what we would normally we think about personal racism, right? You know, one person hating another person because of their color of skin. Sometimes those those can form groups and those types of things. But what we actually have with systemic racism is that because of years of this, right? This, years of this hatred, certain groups have certain powers, yes, and so they've actually created systems, systems, institutions, laws, institutions right. that are racist. Because they were created by racist people, racist groups, right, or because they were done out of ignorance or whatever it was, yeah, but or because they were uh, groups in which there was no diversity, yes, and so they just didn't have the ability to think about um, other people groups, and so they just created, I mean, created laws that basically benefited them, and mm. and not not even intentionally, but they didn't think about what would benefit other people. Right, right. Now, maybe not even understanding that, okay, we're going to create this law, it's going to benefit me or benefit my race. Right. um, But but not even thinking, oh, man, that's actually going to really be detrimental to this race or this race or this group. Yes, yes. Right, okay. All right, well, that's good. I think that's a good working definition. I think that's right. a good start. Um, there's uh, probably a more academic... Uh, sure, 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 right. We're not We're that not smart. That. That's not us. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably not 
that's not where we are. <laughs> right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about history. Yes. Kind of the history of this. And, um, you know, we were laughing beforehand. Uh, if I was going to talk about the history of it from a white perspective, it would be a whole lot of silence. Yes. Right. As, I mean, as far as this nation is concerned. Yeah. You're I mean, right. we, I, I mean, in all honesty, the last few years of my life, you know, maybe five years, uh, have I even begun to think about what systemic racism is? Right. Uh, in all of my education, my teaching, my growing up, uh, my surroundings, that it was never even an issue that was talked about. Yeah. And so what I mean by silence is, is that I mean, there just wasn't anything. It just wasn't a, it wasn't something we talked about. It wasn't something I picked up on in history class, you know, U.S. history or whatever. Um, and I had some of those classes but it just was never really, it never was was really talked about. I mean, we talked about groups of you know racist, the KKK or uh, you know things of that nature. But as far as how those groups and how that has impacted our current systems, that that was never really something discussed. So discussed. So so can you help me? How what's how is it different being a black man growing up in the U.S.? How how what was what was kind of what were you taught? How did you learn about the history of systemic racism? I would say that systemic racism is kind of even assumed mm. in in the black culture. It's um, it's the idea of the the founding of the country was inherently racist. Okay, right. When you think about um, you know, Africans coming over and being subjected to slavery, that's and being considered um, subhuman. Um, are, are being being considered that this race is are was made to be um, slaves in a sense, and so not having those rights even from the beginning of the country or or even before the country was formed, uh, it just made it you it made you understand that this country was established um, with laws with um, institutions that benefited white men. Hmm. When you when you look at the Constitution, you see where um, white male landowners were the ones who were given the the right to vote. That's blatant, right? Sometimes you have uh, blatant systemic racism. Is we're not we're we're going to discriminate against people of color, even if they were free. Hmm. Right? They still didn't have the right to vote. It was for white men. And so someone would look at that and say, well, I mean, if you were a poor white man and you didn't ha- have any land, you still couldn't vote. So how is that systemic right. racism? And w- and we would say that um, just because a poor white man um, out- was actually affected by the law, that, that it doesn't mean that it's still not systemic racism. It just means that every once in a while you're going to – some some other races are going to be sucked up into the discrimination, right? right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that um, it, it's it's not racist. It just means that sometimes the consequences hit other people. But right. who's being affected by it predominantly? Mm-hmm. That that's what we're talking about when we're talking about systemic racism. And, and we want to say that everybody doesn't believe that it exists, right? Um, to to this day, there's people who would say that systemic racism doesn't exist and that will be even black people but i think when we look at the history of our country 
I think we can come to an agreement that there there were certain things um, along the way that were um, racist and, and intentionally yes. so. Um, so you, you, you had slavery. And then even after slavery, when after um, black people get uh, freedom and after they get, let's say, the right to vote, you you have things that are put in place to keep to keep the systems like the system of power. Like right. we want to keep power with uh, white males or we want to we want to keep black people from ha- from having access to things. So when it came to like even the right to vote. Well, well, you have an amendment that's passed that say you you have the right to vote, but um, they'll start to pass laws. Like mm. in Jim Crow, you start to pass laws that say that um, if you can't pass this literacy test, right, right, you you, you can't vote, or if you can't name all the officials uh, in, in mm-hmm. your county or some crazy you know obscure obscure official, then you can't vote. And so you you had a way to where it went from being blatant because the law said that black people couldn't vote. But now the law says that black people couldn't vote. But now we're going to create things Hmm. that we're going to actually only apply to black people because we're we're not going to necessarily apply to everybody across the board. We're going to we're going to have poll tax. We're going to do things to to make sure that black people can't necessarily vote. And that's not necessarily it's not blatant as the law that said they couldn't vote. But it still is a, an effort to keep black people from voting and keep black people from having powers. And even when you get into the 60s where you see like the Voting Rights Act and all those different things passed. And we would say at that point in time, maybe maybe the systemic racism stopped. Right. Yes. We, we passed the Voting Rights Act. You can't you no longer can have all these these different laws and whatnot. But we still have something in this country where uh, people are, who are in power are able to redraw um, districts in yep. which you, and so you you have gerrymandering, which was a thing uh, in the United States um, almost from its inception. But now we're, we're able to redraw districts in a way to where we we can suppress the black vote or we can suppress minority votes. Uh, because we understand that they, they're going to vote a certain way, we can pack them into one district instead of separating them into two districts. So now we got one seat that's going in one direction versus having two seats that's going right. in one direction. Or we can we can dilute the vote, and we, we we'll just say we'll we'll split them up and dilute them so much to where um, their vote doesn't have as much power as it does. And when you look at some of the districts that are being drawn, when you, when it comes to gerrymandering, you would think a little kid actually just got a sheet of paper and just started scribbling, right. <laughs> scribbling within some states. And it doesn't was like, make a lot of sense yeah, if you just it doesn't look make at any it. sense whatsoever. But, you know, it, it's a way in which systemic racism works is that we'll find a way, even if it's not blatant, we'll find a way to um, just make sure that, we're going to keep discriminating against groups of people because we're selfish. I mean, at right. the core, human beings are selfish. And so whoever has the power generally wants to keep that power and, and has trouble losing that power. So they just find ways to to continue to discriminate. And it and it we just get better at hiding it because mm-hmm. we realize that society is not as acceptable in society anymore. So we just find different ways to hide it and 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 to be able to have some form of deniability to yeah, say that that's right. Um, we're just following the laws. We're just following the laws. We're, we're actually following the laws. Right. This is exactly how the, this is just mm-hmm. how the lines fell, and 
we right. can't help it that the vote went this way. Like we, yeah, right. Yeah, and I would say going along the voting lines, and and this is more, it's more about than just voting, right? Sure. We, can, we can talk about redlining. We can talk about... Explain uh, that to us. What's I mean, I hear that one talked right. a lot about. When you talk about systemic racism, people bring up redlining as, yeah. a, as an example. So what what's that? Redlining um, was the process. The, the government back in the New Deal, after the Depression, you had a housing crisis to where there weren't how there weren't a lot of places for people to live, right? Right. And so uh, the New Deal had a program to where they were going to establish some housing. Um, but this program comes out and they draw red lines around like minority communities, African-American communities, and say that we're not going to give any mortgages in the, in this area. And we're going to actually have communities where uh, white people middle class, lower class, low middle class, um, upper upper class, where we're going to have these communities where we're going to build houses, have mortgages and whatnot, and you can't sell those houses to black people. Hmm. And so you have an intentional, uh, a blatant segregation uh, with Redline, and it just continued on for so long to where you have, you know, predominantly black neighborhoods, predominantly white neighborhoods in, in suburbs and whatnot, and, you, and just black people being separated from right from being able to have proper housing. And, and right. this is how you end up with, with ghettos and low-income housing and things of that nature and inadequate housing yeah. in, in um, black communities. And, I mean, and that leads to other problems within the black community. Whenever you when you think about how home ownership and, and how that's tied to wealth and, yes. and you know, generational wealth in, that's in right. some ways – and you lose out on that opportunity for so long and you, you realize how poverty affects crime rates and, and education and and how we've tied our educational system to property taxes. And you got a better home, you got better property taxes and you're going to have better schools because of the property taxes. When you start to look at how all these things are tied together, then you see the effect that systemic racism can have on a community right. or uh a race of people, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, these things were happening. Redlining was happening. What's it? Give me some right. years. I would say New Deal, 1930s, 1940s. And, okay. and you still had it going on, like in the 80s and, and things of that nature. But you started to see laws once again being passed right. to where they're saying that redlining is a redlining is a problem. But you still, once you're dealing with banks in a lot of these situations. And if you don't have the proper oversight to say that. Right. Hey, you can't discriminate and say you can't give loans out in this area. Mm-hmm. Well, m- well, maybe I can't say that because this neighborhood is um, predominantly African American. Mm. I'm not going to give this loan out, but I can say now that this neighborhood has a high crime rate. Yeah, and that it's not going to be wise for me to give this loan out. Well, why does this neighborhood have a high crime That's right. rate? <laughs> That's right, because right. it's been kept poor. Or it's been kept it's, poor, it's, right? Yeah. And so we're going to have um, different different issues as far mm-hmm. as far as um, crime and stuff is concerned when you're dealing with those things. And how do you get get the community back up, build the community up? Well, we need some sort of wealth being pumped into right. the community. And that's, yes. and that's not going to happen if you're not um, giving loans and, and not having the ability to um, build the school systems and things of yes. that nature up. So, right. I mean, there, there's, once again, just so many different examples of how – that type of institutional racism affects minority communities. Mm. Um, but I mean, those are just a couple that I would say that that had a big impact um, on, on black people and, and other minority groups as well. Hmm. 
Now, uh, I want to return, uh, you know, kind of to an idea that you said, you know, part of part of the problem in all of that is that you have kind of the the majority is the one who's always making the decisions. Right. They're the ones who are writing the laws. Yes. So even though the majority decides, okay, we're going to allow black men to vote. Right. They can still make laws that are not super inclusive. Right. Or, I mean, that's even, that's being generous, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Or on the other end, they can just straight up make laws that say, okay, here's a way to, we're not, we're not, re- you know, yes, you're free, but we're still going to find ways to enslave you. I mean, we're yes. still going to find ways to limit your freedoms. We're still going to find ways. Right. And as long as the majority, which, you know, in America has been the, you know, the white male, as long as that person is in, is in the, is making the laws then even if you give them the benefit of the doubt, even if they're trying to, if they're if they're not actually bringing in black Americans and saying, okay, what what's you know what are we doing wrong here? What's happening? What's right? Then there's never going to be an actual you know um, dealing with those systemic problems, right? Um, and so I, I think what we have is hundreds of years of that. Yes, and and now we're. You know, even though people uh, through the years have tried to point out things, right? So the school systems, there were times where people kind of came along and said, "Look, the school systems in the black communities are terrible," and so we've got to we got to figure out a way to 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 fix that or do something about that. Um, and yet we're still trying, <laughs> we're still, <laughs> we're trying, still to trying to figure to that it. out. Yeah, you know, we're still trying to. I mean, I think they've identified that problem. Right. I mean, redlining has been identified as a problem, and yet it was done for so many right. years that it's 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 not a oh yeah that's a problem we're not going to do that anymore and everything will be fine oh, we just pass a couple of laws and and then we'll we'll right. just stop doing the evil that we're doing but we're not really addressing the the decades the centuries mm. that caused the issue and and not realizing that uh, we're going to have to figure out a way right. to to reach to to go back and, and correct some of those things mm. you, know, you can't necessarily go back and correct right, those right. things but you can do more than what you're doing to uh, right. then just pass a few laws and say that everything is okay. Yeah, I mean, you have to recognize that there are ongoing consequences to decisions that were made years and years and years ago. And, right. and we're not saying we got to hold people responsible for those decisions. Well, we understand that. Yeah. But, but you do have to deal with the actual consequences of those decisions. Right. If there were evil men making evil laws, you know, 100 years ago— and we're not necessarily guilty for making those evil laws, but right. we can't just pretend like there's no more consequences. To there's no more consequences, right? I mean, we have to try to figure out how do we address those as well. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So um, let me ask this one. Right. We're talking a lot about voting and laws and those types of things. Is this a Christian issue? Is this something Christians should be concerned about? I would say absolutely. In the sense to where God cares tremendously about injustice, mm. and and at at its core, systemic racism is injustice. Um, when, when you look in the, especially the Old Testament, when you when you look in the Old Testament and you see the, I mean, God establishes the government in Israel, right, and He holds them accountable to how they deal with. Uh, the downcast, the right. uh, the people who are oppressed, and the people who are who are weak in their society, and making sure that they're treating those groups of people correctly, okay. and 
many times when God would bring judgment upon his people, he would make it a point to um, just highlight the fact that, hey, you haven't treated these people right. Like you mm. are oppressing the poor. You right. are not treating the the immigrant right. You are you're discriminating against groups of people um, that I told you to take care of. Right. That I right. told you to to do justice for. And and so this is at its core, I would say it's uh, it's a justice issue. It's an issue of injustice that. God being a just God, he, he demands us to um, to make sure that we're, yeah. we're treating people properly. Mm. Um, you, you go into the New Testament with with Jesus and you, you start to look at Matthew 25. And what I see in Matthew 25 is our, our justice issues. Like right. he said, if you if you don't do these things, if you don't clothe the naked, if mm-hmm. you don't feed the poor, if you don't visit those who are in prison unjustly, if you don't do these things, that then he's going to mm-hmm. separate you yes. from him, right? You're gonna, you're gonna yeah. that's gonna be judgment. And so those are not charity issues because charity mm-hmm. it makes it seem like I have a choice in whether or not I want to do it. Right. But justice, God is going to hold you accountable to whether or not you you do justice. Not saying that those things are were actually what saves you. That's right. Those things show that you are saved. They are evidence, right? They're mm-hmm. they're, they're the fruit that are mm-hmm. evidence that you have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Th- th- those would be the reasons I would say that this should be a, a Christian concern. What would you say in regards to that, brother? I think the big one and and. This one is maybe overly simplistic, but uh, I mean, I think one of the large one that, that seems to just get kind of overlooked often is, I mean, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Amen. I mean, that's like the commandment. Um, the greatest commandments is to love the Lord your God. Yes. And then the second is this, right? To to love your neighbor as yourself. If we look around and see that our neighbors don't have, our, that they're being mistreated, Right, that they don't have access to benefits that we get, that they don't have access to economic, you know, whatever, whatever those might be, um, and those are actually a detriment to their lives, detriment to their livelihood, a detriment to the next generation of, you know, detriment to their children or their grandchildren. Then it, it's I don't know how we can say, yeah, we love we love you, right? But we could care less about your, you know, we just we. We don't care anything about your kids or your grandkids, and so we're not going to try to make those changes. We're not going to try to help you. Uh, We're not going to try to help in these types of situations. And so, I think it. I mean, I really just. I mean, it does come back to that second commandment of you. You have to love other people, and you have to be able to to understand that people who don't necessarily look like you, um, they you, you you need to be fighting for them, figuring out how to help them, figuring out how to to love them, to provide for them, to make sure that they are being treated justly. Yes. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, I know that's a simplistic. I think you know people that want to love love. Yeah, we know we need to love each other, but but I, I do think there is a call for us as Christians to to really be. Um, again, I mean, we we want to preach the gospel. We want to be faithful with the gospel. We yes. we know that people aren't going to get saved. Uh, because they got a home loan, right? Right. I mean, we, we know that that's not... <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean, because we are passionate about the gospel and passionate about the Great Commission and want to pe- see people saved, that doesn't mean that we could care less where they live or how they live right. or you know their provision, right? I mean, Jesus is teaching, even in, in, in Matthew 25 and in other places, 
uh, seems to indicate that we are supposed to care. I mean, what's the what's the parable that he told? You know, oh, it, it's, man. You, actually, yeah. you actually care for the brother, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I mean, it, sometimes I think that Christians today would say, "Well, you just go over there and share the gospel with him and leave him in the street." <laughs> right, leave like, him bloody <laughs> in the street. <laughs> That's right. It's like wait, wait, wait. No, I think Jesus taught us that loving our neighbor means you know going to the hated, going to the 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 um the outcast you know right. and, and actually doing something that others would be like what are you doing you know yes. why, why would you? well because Jesus taught us to love right that is evidence of our salvation in Him it doesn't save us right but it is is evidence that we've been changed by Him Amen. Uh, other other biblical foundations or biblical responses you think uh, to systemic racism yeah um, kind of goes systematic theology on on sy- oh, systemic wow. racism. Yes, look at that. Ah, look at that wordplay there, like man. It. Look at that. So I I think we most people as we as we were talking about earlier, there there's a group of people even even black Christians and brothers yes. that, you know, I I agree with on a lot of other things who would say that systemic racism is not the problem or it's not even the the primary problem. They might even agree that it's a problem, but it's not the primary problem that's that's kept the black community down, that there's other things that have kept the black community down. But there are other people who would say that we've even we figured it out. Like we we found the solution to systemic racism. It's no longer a problem in this mm-hmm. nation. And I would say biblically that that doesn't fly. Um, if we say that systemic racism existed and we can we can pretty much go to the civil rights movement when Jim Crow was still um, when we had the blatant kind of systemic racism yeah. with Jim Crow and whatnot. And we can say absolutely systemic racism happened then. But people would say, well, we passed the Civil Rights Act in, in the 60s. We passed the Voting Rights Act in, in the 60s and we passed other laws that that kind of fought against that. And I would say, yes, that's well and good. But what happens when. When, when laws are passed and we can see that through American history when just because a law is passed doesn't mean that people stop trying to oppress right. other people. Uh, Brown versus Board of Education. I mean, it mm. took National Guardsmen to come in to to integrate mm. schools. Um, Ruby Bridges, when she was trying to um, integrate her elementary school, all the all the white parents took their kids out of the school to where she right. was the only person in her classroom and nobody wanted to teach her. And so even though you had the laws in the book, it didn't change people's hearts and it didn't change people's efforts um, to try to um, to try to keep black people down. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we see that in the word of God. It's like no law can change the heart. That's right. Like this is why this is why Jesus had to come because the law couldn't save us. Jesus had to come and and fulfill the law because he was perfect. And 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 we are made righteous through through our faith in Jesus Christ. So for us to as believers in Christ to say that because we passed some laws that we finally got rid of a sin that has plagued this nation for centuries. That goes against what we believe, right? right. What's in reality? What's in our, what's what our spiritual condition is? If the law is not able to wasn't able to say, why, why would a law be able to change our hearts and keep mm. us from being selfish and and, right. and keep us from still trying to stay keep stay in power and keep things the way that they are and, and make sure that. Um, we keep a certain group down. I don't think the law is able to do that unless we can point to some sort of great awakening that happened uh, within the last four decades that I don't know about or, <laughs> right. or, 
or maybe those revivals were working. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe those revivals were working widespread. Uh, what, what, what tends to happen is that we just find different ways in which to, to perpetuate the same sins. Mm. Uh, you, you think about the Jews when Jesus came. Jesus comes and, and he, he's, try, he's changing the way, the system in which mm-hmm. they were trying to do things. Mm. And they got him killed. Right. Right. This is why they wanted to kill Jesus, um, because he was changing the way Mm -hmm. that they viewed God, changing the way that they wanted to do, changing their systems. They were in power. The Pharisees, the religious leader, they were in power. Mm. They didn't want to lose power. Yep. And so they fought against that. And that we're, we're no better. Yeah. Like we're, we're no better. The Pharisees would have been much better than than the people in Israel, right during right. Uh, the the reigns of the kings, when they were worshiping idols and and whatnot, they would have been, they would have seemed to be much better as far as mm. whether they were idol worshippers or worshiping the true God or whatnot. But they were still idolaters. Yeah, they were just doing it different. Right. And I would say we we still have the problem of systemic racism. We just find different ways to do it. We we know it's not socially acceptable. Because we do have laws on the book, mm. so we're just find new ways in which that in which we can still do the same things, and I would even say that systemic racism is not always intentional. It's not always blatant. Yeah, and I see that in the Word of God as well. Um, in Acts chapter six, w- when you see that different groups are being reached um, with the gospel. In Acts chapter six, you have Greek speaking Jews and you have um, Hebrew speaking Jews who have um, become a part of the church, the early church. And you have an issue that arises because the the Greek speaking Jews, their widows are not being fed. But the Hebrew speaking Jews, their widows are being fed. Now, the issue here is not that the Hebrew speaking Jews are just absolutely racist and they just hate the Greek speaking Jews. I don't think right. that's the issue at all. It's like I hate you. We're right. going to make we're going to really set this up against you, right? Well, what I think is going on here is that the the Hebrew speaking Jews, they're the only ones in power. They're that's the right. apostles, right? Mm-hmm. They're the only ones in power and and because you don't have any Greek speaking Jews in power, they they're just being overlooked. That's right. And so Left out. Mm-hmm. the apostles come up with the idea of uh, establishing uh, what we would say would be the first deacons. Mm-hmm. And they put Greek-speaking Jews in this role to make sure that these widows are being fed. And so it's not always blatant, but we need to be sure that we are making sure that everybody has a voice at the table. Yes. Um, and that we're not um, unintentionally perpetuating systemic racism. Mm. Good stuff. All right. Well, what uh, what would maybe be some resources, or you know, obviously we've identified what it is. Kind of, what are some maybe right. some resources that could help us with that? Uh, maybe even start moving towards kind of how we could act. What what, what are some things we could do? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what do you got for us on that? I would say um, a good resource as far as kind of the history of systemic racism. It, it's it's a longer resource, a documentary uh, of sorts. Um, it's called The Thirteenth, and it was on Netflix. Um, it's probably it's still on Netflix. I think the it 13th. is. Yeah, and so that's a good um, just resource to to, to kind of see the history of systemic racism in through the lens of slavery and kind of how 
it just continued on even though mm-hmm. it was abolished by the 13th yeah. Amendment. I would say something shorter would be the video by Phil Vischer right. uh, from yes. VeggieTales, the guy from yes. VeggieTales, right? Yes, um, Bob. He did a uh, tomato. great video on um, uh, through his bo- podcast, YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, just about 17 minutes long. Yep. And it kind of gives um, just some some broad strokes um, ideas about systemic racism, but it's, it's done greatly kind of from a Christian perspective. Yeah. And um, I think that is wonderful. And we'll, we'll make sure we put links to them sure. um, so that you can um, get find to those. them and, mm-hmm. and find them and whatnot. All right, good, good stuff. So let's uh, uh, shift gears just a little bit. What's uh, we have to have our crazy, crazy question? Crazy question of the day. So what is our uh, what is our crazy question? Did you have that for it's us? It's a Kenny? good one. Crazy question for today is: What movie or movies made you cry the most? You know, men are not supposed to cry during don't movies. Do that. I've never cried at a movie. We are um, crybabies. She'll call me a liar. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go. Uh, I th- I think the movie that really impacted me the most in that, and I don't know if I necessarily cried the most at this movie, but it but uh, I always think about the scene in the movie Radio, mm-hmm. where uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s they tell him that his mom has died, and he you, you know he has the, the they show the reaction right he's crying, but I just remember watching that in the theater and for whatever reason the the way they did it instead of just kind of letting him cry for a second and then kind of cutting I mean they he's like weeping in the floor. And wow, I just remember yeah. watching that and, and just being overwhelmed, you know, because I thought that, because normally they do the crying scene, you know, it's like 15 seconds and then people start feeling uncomfortable. And so then they kind of slowly right. fade out, you know, because you, nobody wants to feel that uncomfortable, no. you know, but in the way the, you know, the director or whoever it was that made the decision to kind of leave that on him and just let that scene kind of, kind of play out, it really made me feel the weight of, of mourning and grieving and, uh, so it really had an impact on me. What about you? What's a movie that made you cry the most? The movie that made me cry the most was Up, the um, animated movie from Pixar. Yes. And, and yes. I'm telling you, man, I sat down to watch this movie. You know, all the commercials just showing this guy in a balloon. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> gonna be with great. this little kid, it's going to be a great movie. Yeah. Just going to have mm-hmm. me some fun, going to laugh at this movie. And at the beginning of the movie, um, you see how he meets his wife, like in childhood, and they're they're growing mm. together. They are um, having struggles together with fertility and whatnot. And but you yes. can just tell throughout that first part they love each other deeply, mm. right? And then you just see her get sick and fade mm. out. Man, I bawled. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I was like, I was crying like. I'm telling you, like, out. like this was my wife or something. Right. And right. I, I remember I was like, I called my kids because they weren't watching it with me. I was just sitting watching it at home. I was like, why didn't y'all tell me? Like, <laughs> I needed like, this a is warning. how this movie I need a warning, was going to play out. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling cried like a baby. Yeah. So the story about that movie with, I mean, Glenn and I, you know, have struggled with infertility. And mm-hmm. so we went to see that movie in the theater and I literally thought like, we're going to have to get up and leave. Yeah. Because we were both just... It, it, and it was such a, I mean, it, just the way they did it and, the you know, the way the scene was. And uh, it was really, really, really powerful. Right. Which was, une- and it was, I guess maybe part of it was, it was so unexpected. Right. Um, an and animated so, movie, Pixar. I know, man. This Come is on. supposed to be funny. Um, <laughs> so anyway, but that was a powerful, powerful movie. All right. Well, uh, that's probably all the time we have uh, for today. Thanks so much uh, for listening to the uh, latest episode. And we will catch you next week. God bless you. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Diversity and Fellowship Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us your questions and your comments to diversityandfellowship at gmail.com. That's diversityandfellowship at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, keep laboring by God's grace to be a faithful display of how the power of the gospel unites us in Christ.